how many of you at the last minute remembered it was spring forward this morning? Last minute, yeah. <laughs> I went through the house last night in the afternoon and set all the clocks ahead so that when we were operating during the day, we just kind of mentally were already prepared for that. So it didn't help because that alarm went off this morning and I was, I was feeling it. So well, we're glad you're uh, with us this morning. Um, today we're continuing our series um, through the book of First Peter. Today we're going to be looking at the hope that we have uh, as we grow in Christ. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 8-12. through 12. And this is a topic that I'm personally excited about because it changed my life. And so I was thinking of, through some of the things that God had brought me through the last uh, you know, 20 years. And this topic of growing in Christ is so important um, for us today. It's been a joy uh, to be a part of helping others grow in Christ. And uh, just this whole topic is just so important. I wish this was a uh, conversation that had uh, was limited, but this is uh, Springbrook. I've been involved in four churches right now, and I've had this conversation in every church I've ever been involved in. But specifically, when I think about spiritual growth, there was a guy that uh, I was talking with that was at uh, Meadowland, which is where I was a pastor before I came down here. And I can remember I had an opportunity to pray with this uh, young man. And uh, it was so exciting because he came in and just wanted to know questions about God and the Bible, and he made a faith commitment. And he was so excited, and he's like, okay, now what do I do? I said, well, I said, you know, here's a Bible, and, and I introduced him to a couple of guys. I invited him to his breakfast and encouraged him to get involved in the small group. And so he, he hit the door, and a couple you know, months later, I had an opportunity to see him. He was just kind of standing off by himself, and so I walked up. I said, hey, how you doing? He's like, oh, I'm doing all right. He goes, I just, I said, well, he wasn't as excited as, as he was the, the first day I had an opportunity to talk with him. And so I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, yeah, I've been kind of reading through the Bible. I'm not quite sure you know, where to start or how to read it. And I said, well, did you get a chance to get connected to any guys? No. And I said, well, here. So I introduced him to two more guys. And I said, okay. And I gave him a book on prayer because we were talking through, you know, how to, how to talk with God. And I said, okay, well, so here's, a, here's another book to read. <laughs> I said, here's four guys. And, hey, they got a small group meeting. And, by the way, we got a breakfast coming up. And so uh, he got on fire. He got excited. And uh, it was probably about a year later. Um, I didn't see him as often. So I called him up to say, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. I said, hi, you feel like you're growing? He said, no. I said, well, have you been reading the Bible? No. I said, have you ever connected with those guys? No. And I said, man, I said, let's get together for breakfast. And so I got together with him and I said, I said, you have got to get connected with some other men. I said, you made a faith commitment. You have a new identity in Christ, uh, but you need other believers around you to encourage you. You need to be in God's word. And this, this idea of growth was something that he was just really struggling with. And so I, I took him to a group, and he got involved in a group, and he started going for a couple weeks. And I said, stay connected to that group. And it was probably about a year, year and a half later. Um, I just didn't see him anymore. And so I called him up, and I said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And he said, yeah. He goes, I'm... I'm going to another church now. I just didn't feel like I was growing there. <laughs> I was like, dude. I said, what is growing? I said, growing is, is putting into practice some of the things that you... And, and so the conversation's moot at this point, you know, because the you know, decision's already been made. And, you know, but this topic of spiritual growth is critically important for us today because we need to experience the hope that we have in Christ and we need to be experiencing the growth that God has for us as we study his word and we're changed from the inside out. As we turn to 1 Peter, what we've been looking at these last couple of weeks is uh, for the last chapter and a half, Peter has been encouraging the believers that are, that are spread throughout um, Asia Minor. In fact, in chapter 2, Peter says this about the hope that we have in Christ. 
He says to the believers, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you have a relationship with Christ, this verse is for you. It's talking to you. You have a new identity in Christ. When a person comes to understand their need for a relationship with Christ and they commit themselves to make Him as Lord and Savior, we're changed. The Holy Spirit enters into us and, and we are different than we were before we prayed that prayer, before we came to the understanding of our need for a relationship with Christ. And so we can know that, we, that, that God is perfect and we are not. We have uh, the conversations about, you know, we're sinful, we're in need of a Savior. We can come to understand our need for a relationship with Christ and we can pray a prayer You know, sin is not just a behavior. It's a condition that we all have. It's our sin that separates us from God. And so we can come to understand that. The Bible says that if you confess your sin and believe that Jesus Christ is God, your sins will be forgiven and you can enter into a relationship with him through his death on the cross. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that he has been risen from the grave, you will be saved. And so we can come to a point where our identity has changed. The Holy Spirit enters into us and, and we begin a journey. And for so many people, this journey stops there instead of actually starting there. We are all objects of God's love. For God so loved the world. He loves everyone. We are the objects of God's love. But we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to become one of his children. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We have been grafted in. We can become children of God as a result of who we are in Christ. And so if you have a relationship with Christ this morning, you have a completely different identity from God's perspective than those that don't. You are different than the world. You know, we talk a lot about this in our baptism class. We had to move our baptism class from this week to next. And so next week, right after the first service, and we'll be covering this. How do, you, how do you have a relationship with Christ? What does it mean to identify with him in that? And, and what is baptism? And so we've been sealed. You know, my wife and I have been married now for uh, almost uh, 30 years. And so we exchanged vows. This ring is a symbol of my covenant commitment to my wife. And just like we enter into a covenant commitment with God through our relationship with Christ, we do baptism through immersion here at Springbrook. And so we're working on scheduling our next baptism service. But we talk about how to have a relationship with Christ there. Um, we have our elders, uh, we have elder prayer this morning, so our elders are going to be coming forward, and, and if you have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ this morning, you can come forward. One of our elders would love to talk with you about that. I'm going to be up here for our prayer time as well. You can talk with Pastor Dan, but the most important decision that a person can make in this life is how to have a relationship with Christ, and what does that look like so they can begin to grow and find the hope that is ours in Christ. Having a relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship that we can have Life. We're going to be looking at that this Easter as well. So Pastor Dan talked about that a little bit. So be praying about who you might invite. But as Peter moves from this verse into verse 11 in chapter 2, he begins to encourage us how we are to live differently in light of our new identity. And he says this. It's coming. I can feel it. There it is. Nope. We got the verse 11. Go back. Yeah. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You have an identity now in Christ. You were 
once, not God's chosen people, but now you are a part of his family. So you have this new identity. And, and then he, and he encourages us, he exhorts us to live as sojourners in exile, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our souls. Keep our conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they can see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so we can have an identity in Christ, but it doesn't stop there. We are to be conformed. We're to be changed. We're supposed to live, some translations say, as aliens. We're supposed to be different than the people around us. Not just with this new identity that we have, but people should be able to see our lives and say, wow, that guy, that gal is completely different. What's the secret? I mean, people should be able to look at our lives and they should see something different as a result of who we are in Christ. Keep your conduct honorable. In other words, don't just have this new identity. Let people see the difference in you. People should be able to see that you are different. And that should affect all of our, different, all of our relationships as well. We should be able to see that difference in the relationships that we have Uh, in all of our relationships. That's what Pastor Dan talked about last week. We looked at the fact that because of who we are in Christ, we have different relationships as it relates to our role as citizens, as we submit to governmental authorities. We saw that as servants, we submit to those that are in authority over us. We saw that this difference should translate into how we treat our spouses as wives. We're supposed to submit ourselves to our husbands, and husbands are supposed to sacrificially love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so we're supposed to be different, and those differences should affect all of our relationships. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, it starts with the word finally. It's the first word in our passage today. Go ahead and put it. Finally, all of you. What does finally do? Finally connects this passage to all the other passages that were before it after verse 11 in chapter 2. It's a close. It's the close of how Peter's idea of how our differences should affect all of our relationships. And today we're going to see how our difference should affect our relationships with our attitude with one another, through our attitude with one another, through our response to the world, the people around us, and our motivation for how we live our lives. But in 1 Peter 3.8, it says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This passage is broken out on your uh, on the insert on the inside of your program this morning. So if you would go ahead and uh, take that out with me for a moment. First Peter three eight gets broken out like this. Finally, all of you. Who is the all of you? It's me and you. It's us. And so look around. Everybody's looking at me right now. Look around. Look to the person to your left and the right. You are the all of us. We are the all of us. It's you and me. It's Richard. It's Bob, it's Ben, it's Mary. In fact, there's a little place for you to write your name right there. Finally, Richard, be, have a unity in mind. Or Ben, this passage needs to be personalized. It's not just some kind of object on a piece of paper that we look at it. It's something that we need to read and internalize, and we need to let it change how we think. It needs to change not just our identity, but what others see in us. And so what does unity of mind look like? You know, it might be translated, maybe it's to be like-minded. You know, we are all supposed to be like-minded. Now look around for a minute. <laughs> Is it possible for all of us to be like-minded? I mean, we could talk about, we could throw uh, politics out there or music styles out there. I mean, 
is it possible for all of us to really be like-minded in that? You know, like-mindedness is not necessarily agreeing on anything, on everything. Agreeing on everything just to agree is, is uniformity. It's, it's not unity. You know, most think of like-mindedness to be defined as you agreeing with me. That's not, that's not, that's not like-mindedness. That's not unity. It's conformity. And that's not what we're called to here. You know, we talk about small groups a lot. And so last, last uh, winter, we just kicked off our small group open enrollment. And we encouraged people to get into a small group. And, and some people might have been dragged there by a spouse. Or some people might have said, man, these last five times, I'm just going to go. And so it's not about conforming to what you're being asked to do. It's about understanding the importance of, of why we're doing it. Small groups are the best way to live out our, our faith. They're the best way to study God's word together, to encourage one another, to invite other people in. And so if you think about the value of small groups... That's different than going because you have to. And so we have a unity of mind about why small groups are important to us at Springdale. Our next Sunday, we have our prayer gathering, Fresh Encounter. You can conform and go because you've been asked to go. Or you can conform because somebody said, hey, you really need to go. That's conforming. That's not being of like-mindedness. Like-mindedness means that, hey, we understand the importance and the value of prayer and we're going to come together because prayer is important. And so when we come together with like-mindedness, we understand the rationale and the importance for why we do what we do. So we're to be called to, to be like-minded. We're to have a unity in the way that we think. We don't have to think alike, but we do have to have unity in our thinking. And so you can think of uh, this as like this. Unity is cooperation in the midst of diversity. It's cooperation in the midst of diversity. We all might think differently, but we come together under the headship of Christ for what God has for us together as the body of Christ. That's the all of you. All of you have unity in mind. We're all different, but we're unified in building up the body of Christ. You know, we're going through our spiritual gifts class right now. We're finishing up this class. We're coming into the next one uh, probably in the next month or two. But we all have different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. And so our spiritual gifts are all different, but we pull them together under the umbrella of who we are in Christ. And we're unified in what God has for us about building up the body of Christ. In John 17, Jesus prays this, I pray that they may become one as the Father and I are one. And so Jesus prays for us to be unified. Not that we're not all different, but that we're unified in our thinking and our purpose and our our values and what God has for us as the body of Christ. This is why our Discovering Springbrook class is so important. You know, we don't have, it's it's a legalistic thing to say, I have to become a member. But it's another thing to say, I want to know what our vision, mission, and values are at Springbrook. I want to know what's important to us at Springbrook. And so membership is one of those things. I mean, it just as you think about who we are called to be together, we have to have an opportunity to set that time aside to talk and to process through so we can be like-minded. It does not happen by accident. We have to be intentional about it, and we have to make time for it. So we're called as the body of Christ to have a unity in the way that we think. And second, we're called to um, sympathy. So we are, Richard, be sympathetic. Share feelings. With, share your feelings with others and listen to others as they're processing through how they're feeling. To be sympathetic or to be compassionate is to feel together. There's a sense of what you're going through, I'm going through. Peter says, first, think the same, and then we are to feel the same. And here's one of the best definitions I've heard on sympathy. Your hurts are my hurts. Your hurts are in my heart. And so I'm empathetic. I feel your pain. I'm there 
with you. You don't say, well, I understand what you're going through. In fact, somebody that uh, is sympathetic or has the gift of empathy would never say that. But it's feeling their pain. In Romans 12:15, it says we're to rejoice with those that are rejoice and we're to weep with those that weep. It's the sense of, hey, we are in this together. I feel your pain. And we have to intentionally make time for this as well. You know, when our prayer team comes up here this morning, you have to make time to come up and and to share prayer requests. And we have to make time to listen to you so that we can be sympathetic. And so this requires us to take time and to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional about listening and thinking through how are we feeling and should. This requires vulnerability. And vulnerability, quite frankly, can be scary. I'm not sure how much I should share. Should I share this? What are they going to say? Will they think this? Will I tell somebody else? You know, sympathy moves beyond that and says, hey, look, this is a trusting environment. You can trust us. It's built on trust. You know, ultimately who we are in Christ. But we build through these relationships as the body of Christ. We're to be sympathetic to one another, sharing one another's burdens with each other and praying for one another. And then look at the third attitude. Our third attitude is to be that of brotherly love. Brotherly love. Now, I didn't have any brothers growing up, but I did have a sister. And so I was a brother. <laughs> to be quite honest, when I first saw about brotherly love, I didn't have a lot of positive imagery. <laughs> it kind of came to the top, right? Uh, Gail, if you're listening to this online, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think there's things that I could have done to be a, a, to be a, to be a better brother. So I just want to apologize to her right now. There's things that she would do that aggravated me. And be quite frankly, I was just mean to her and she was mean to me. And so when I see this, my first thought is not of that endearing kind of brotherly love that, that Peter would have intended. I think a better way for us to understand this would be to we should love each other as brothers should, as people that were family, that are connected, that are invested in one another. I think when Peter wrote this, he had his brother Andrew in mind. Andrew was his brother. I picture Andrew's, Andrew's a good brother, a loving brother. In fact, Andrew was the one that led Peter to Christ. And so he had an older brother that was just really, that led him to Christ that he was invested in. And so I picture this idea of what a brother should be. And I think that's what we're called to, that we care for one another as family. Love one another like a brother. In fact, this is one of the proofs that we are actually saved. In John chapter 3, First uh, John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life. We know that we are Christians. We know that we have been saved because we love the brothers. We love one another. It's a mark of how you know who the true Christians are in a sense that they love one another. And we are called to that. And so it's not just about understanding our identity in Christ, but about living these principles out as we seek to be in one mind as we think about God's purpose for us, as we are sympathetic to one another and we feel each other's pain and as we love one another like brothers. And then the fourth attitude we're supposed to have as we look at verse 8 is this. We're to have a tender heart. We're to have a tender heart. You know, I was trying to think through some different examples of what a tender heart would look like. It was funny because sometimes the best example of what to do is really what not to do. (laughs) I was reading through... Deuteronomy chapter uh, 28 uh, this past week. And you know, there's some passages in Scripture reading down through it. It's like, wow, I'm not even quite sure what to do with this one. But you know, Moses is talking about the fact that the Israelites are God's chosen people. And so they need to act like it. And they need to start obeying God's commands. At one point he says, if you are disobedient, one of the results is, is that you are going to be cursed. And then it says this, the most gentle and tender 
hearted man will have no compassion for his own brother, for his wife, or for his kids. He will turn his back on his immediate family. And then it goes on to say in the next verse, the most gentle, tender-hearted woman will turn her back on her family and will begrudge her small children. And so when we drift from God, when we drift from what God's best is for us, when we drift from being obedient, when we drift from who we are in Christ and our attitudes start to wander, we become not tender-hearted and then we become self-centered and self-focused. It's all about me. And so we're called not to do that. Instead, we're called to put others first. Being tender-hearted means putting somebody else's needs ahead of your own. You know, we were talking about marriage in our uh, small group last week. We came off the study, and, and uh, we were kind of joking because um, as we were talking about, you know, the, the attitude that couples have when they get married, I kind of made a joke about the fact, yeah, when I got married, my first priority was to think about meeting my wife's needs. <laughs> Everybody's kind of looking at me like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I know her first priority was to meet all of my needs. And so that's not what happens. When you go into a marriage, everybody's thinking, man, about their needs. That just carries out into all of our relationships, an infant from birth to adulthood. We're constantly thinking about putting ourselves first. And we're not tenderhearted. So we have to be intentional about learning how to do this. And it begins by looking for opportunities to put others' needs ahead of us. It's about putting others first. And that's what Jesus modeled for us in Mark 10.45. It says that Jesus came to what? He came to serve and to not be served. You know, Jesus emptied himself. He gave up all his rights as God, and he humbled himself, even to the point of death. He put others' needs ahead of himself, and he had a, he had a tender heart. And so we're called to have tender hearts. And then number five, we're to have a humble mind. Now, this was a radical idea in Peter's time, because to be humble was, to, uh, was a sign of weakness. To be humble was to be weak. The Greeks would conquer a people and they would subdue them to make them slaves and they would try to make them humble-minded people. And so when you think about 100 humble-minded, and sometimes it could be referred to as being weak, but that's not what Peter's calling us to here. Being humble-minded is a, is a value. Sometimes I hear a lot of folks talking about, like, yeah, I wish I was like that, but how do you do it? You know, we value this independence. We value self-confidence. We value self-esteem. I mean, who doesn't know Clint Eastwood's most famous line? Go ahead and make my day. Make my day. And so that's not humble-minded. That's, that's, that's like, man, you're going to get yours. <laughs> Humble-mindedness is, is stepping back and just and thinking and trying to be intentional about understanding where the other person is, and putting them first. Peter says, don't do that. Our attitude should be that of humility. And that's the Philippians 2, 8 passage. Jesus humbled himself. He gave up all of his rights as God to come to earth and humble himself to the, even to the point of death on the, on the, death on the cross. That's our example of what humility is. And that's not one that I, that's one that I wish I just, I had. I long for that. I work for that. I strive for that. I try to work that out in my own mind. Because if I think, if I was Jesus and I had all the power of the universe at my disposal. You know, if you look at Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, it says that all things were created by Him, for Him, and through Him. He is all-powerful. And I think if I had that kind of power, I'd get that front-row parking spot every time. <laughs> I think there'd be an abuse of power. In fact, I, was, I watched Bruce Almighty again. It's an old movie. I watched it again uh, a couple weeks ago. I was just so reminded of what happens when people get 
you know, power, when power is put in the wrong hands. We're not called to do that. We're called to, to an attitude of humility. We're called to be able to be unified in mind, to be sympathetic, to have brotherly love towards one another, to be tender-hearted, and to be humble in mind, thinking about how we can put others first. You know, these are all reflective of our attitudes about growing in Christ. And so when we think about what it means to grow in Christ, it's not just about understanding our identity, but letting our minds be changed. Romans 12.1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. Not just your behaviors, but the principles that undergird why are you doing what you're doing. Our attitudes need to be changed if we're going to experience the hope that we can have as we grow in Christ. Our growing in Christ is reflected in the attitude that we have towards one another in this local body of Christ. And then the second area that we want to look at is our response to people around us. We grow in Christ as, as, as we think about how we respond to the, to the people around us. Look at verse uh, 9 in this next passage. 1 Peter 3.9 says, don't, repeat, don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may, what, obtain a blessing. You know, I love being here on Sunday morning. I love being at church. I love being with you guys. I love when I get to go home. Um, I love being with my family on Sunday. I just really like Sunday. It's just really a good day. It's the Lord's Day. Let's claim it. But then something happens on Monday, doesn't it? <laughs> what happens on Monday? We hit the world. And all of a sudden, we get around people that don't think like we do. They don't have the same attitudes that we do, right? And they're all different. And all of a sudden, it starts to draw out sometimes the worst in us. Verse 9 breaks down like this. If you look at on the bottom of your outline there, don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, instead bless. Don't repay evil for evil. You know, I struggle with that one too. <laughs> you know, my first response is, is to, you know, I have to stop and reflect a little bit. You know, I, and I, an email is the worst for me because uh, email, by the way, if something's important, can I just say this right now? Pick up the phone and make a phone call. <laughs> Email is bad. Email is only 5% of communication. Words are 5% of communication. The tone of your voice is 45% of communication. And 50% of what gets communicated is nonverbal. And so when we send emails out to everybody, we can misconstrue that. Sometimes if we send them out in anger, there's words written into that. And so every once in a while I'll get an email. I have, to, I have a new rule now. And I've, sometimes I'm, I keep trying to enforce it. When I get an email, if I... If, if I if I feel anxious about it, wait 24 hours before I respond. And so if you didn't hear from me on an email, it doesn't mean I was anxious about it. <laughs> wow, he didn't hear from me. He must be anxious. <laughs> but just in general, we need to check our words. We need to think about how we respond. We should not repay evil for evil. You know, just yesterday, I was over at the Huntley Expo. And I was driving around the front row. I was coming around the back, and a spot opened up. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go get my spot. And I came around there, and I'm just, you know, he's backing out, and I'm waiting. And just, you know, boom, somebody whipped in there. I was like, ooh, that was Jesus. You'd be out of that spot. <laughs> you know, you get that desire, you know, every once in a while, somebody will do something. It's like, oh, man, I should, you know, put his windshield wipers up or something or, you know, knock his window. I don't know. You know, but we're not to do that. Don't. Do that. Don't repay evil for evil. And don't revile. Don't revile when you're reviled. Revile is to criticize or it's an abusive or an, angle, an angry kind of an, an insult or 
you know, a, a response. And in my, in my attempts to control this might reflect the fact that I'm not going to do anything, but inside I'm stirring inside. You know, that's, you know, that's just as bad for my heart as when I act on it. Sometimes in my heart I'm like, I have to work really hard at not having a critical spirit, a critical attitude. We have expectations for one another. My, I love my kids. I have expectations and I have my desires to see them grow. And when our expectations aren't met, when something goes wrong, you know, it's just it's really easy for me to say, wow, you know, be, to come across as critical. And I have to think about, about not doing that. We're not to repay evil for evil and we're not to revile for revile. We're not to criticize when we're criticized. Instead, what are we supposed to do? Bless. Our response to the people around us when, they're, when things are working against us, when we're feeling like we're being criticized or when evil's working against us, is to bless them. That's what we've been called to do. That may we be a blessing to the people around us. And so if you want a blessing, think about who your worst enemy is. And then run up and go, ooh, I want to bless you. <laughs> we're to bless the people around us so that we may obtain a blessing. You know, when you think about being a blessing, you know, having a blessing, you know, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Somebody gives you uh, a gift card or, if, you know, the checks, if your income tax coming back. Oh, we got, we got we're a blessing. I think a lot of times we can get blessed with, you know, we've got these children and God just really blessed us. I think a lot of times, you know, our thinking is, is that God's going to bless us in a tangible way. And it's not always that. Sometimes he blesses us just because we've blessed others that were evil to us. And so when somebody does evil to us, when somebody maligns us or slanders us and say something, something bad against us, we are to bless them. That's how we are to respond to the people around us. And if we can get to the point that we do that, people are going to look at our lives and go, wow, there is something different about that guy. I can't believe he did that. <laughs> people expect us to retaliate. And rather what we should do is to bless others. This is what we've been called for. This is why we've been set apart. This is what we get to do as a result of our new identity. When things work around us and when things work against us, we're to bless people around us. And I think that this was pretty close to Peter's heart. I think he had something specific in mind when he wrote this passage. I was thinking of his attitude in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to get Jesus and they're all sitting there together. And what does Peter do? He jumps up and he he says, oh, let me bless you. And he prays for them and he says, oh, I'm going to, you guys are just so great. Is that what he does? No. He pulls out his sword. Whack! Cuts our guys off. <laughs> you got to wonder if he wasn't trying to go for the head and got the ear. I don't know. That was something I think God really changed Peter's heart in. Because that really is our first response, is to, re- is to retaliate. But that is not what we're called to do. We're called to bless others. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a note. Maybe it's an encouragement. Or maybe it's just a, hey, I, 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 it sounds like something's going on in your life. Maybe this is the best time to talk. How can I pray for you? We're called to bless others, not to respond in like. And that's how, we're, that's how it should affect our relationships with the people outside the church. Some, and sometimes it might be inside the church as well, right? We're talking about our attitudes within the body of Christ because Peter's talking specifically to us when he says, all of you be of one mind, be sympathetic. And so that list was for the believers. But this is as he thinks about our relationships with people outside the body of Christ. This is how we're to respond. But... Sometimes we have to respond like that to other believers. Sometimes we have to respond like this to people that are in our family. And so we need to look for opportunities to bless people. That's how we grow in Christ, by not just saying, hey, we're Christians, but we look for opportunities to put it into practice as we look to be a blessing to the people around us. 
Growing in Christ is reflected in our attitudes towards one another in the body of Christ. It's reflected in our response to others. And then finally, growing in Christ is reflected in, our, in the motivation for all of our relationships. Look at verse uh, 10 and 11. Peter writes this, Whoever desires to love life and to see good days will what? Let him keep his tongue from evil, keep his lips from speaking deceit, let him turn away from the evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. And so what, are, what is our motivation for growing in Christ? Is to desire to love life and, and see good days. And follow Peter's thinking here. He says, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. We do these things so that we can enjoy the life that God has for us and experience what he has for us in this life. John 10.10 says Jesus came so we can have life and have it to the full. And it doesn't mean prosperity. It means that we can have peace when our trials and tribulations are going on around us. In fact, it says in the Bible that um, in Christ Jesus we find our peace. In this world we have what? Trials and tribulations. But in Christ Jesus we find our peace. And so our motivation for growing in Christ is so that we can live out the life that God has planned for us. And we see that as we put his word into practice in our life. In fact, Peter would go on in this verse to quote um, Psalm 34. I think it was probably one of his favorite psalms. This is not the first time that he's done that. But when we have God's word written on our heart, when we are living a life that is one of obedience, Jesus is not just our Savior, but he's our Lord. And when we live a life of obedience and we submit ourselves to him and to his authority, he enables us to experience life that he has planned. And so our motivation for growing in Christ is desire to love this life and to see the good days that God has for us as we live out and work out our faith. He goes on in verse 12 to say, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, another motivation for our wanting to grow in Christ is because there's a sense that God is watching us. You know, I always grew up as a kid in, with a unhealthy fear about the fact that God was looking down on me and that uh, I had to be careful I was going to get in trouble with God. I think a lot of times that's the mindset that people have when they think about God is watching you. You know, I, it was funny because I was talking to, I can't, oh, hope it wasn't here. I was talking to somebody and there was like, yeah, when I, my kids start to misbehave, I said, God's watching you. And you know, that's true. And that should motivate us to want to have a changed behavior, right? That's good. But there's a flip side to that. There's a sense that God is watching you and he's attentive to your prayer and he's available for you and he wants to listen to you. God is watching us. He's not just growling, but he's attending to our needs. His ears are open to our prayers. Isn't that great? One of the motivations for growing in Christ and one of the hopes that we have as we grow in Christ is that we go closer in our relationship with God knowing that he is there and that he is always hearing us. That's a motivation for me. You know, if, if there's a sense of I'm not sure if there's a God or God seems distant, then a part of, part of what we need to step back and think of is, well, how am I growing in Christ? Because if I'm not growing, God will be distant. But if I am growing in Christ, then he's going to be close and he's going to hear me. And so many times I talk to people and it's about the decision that they've made in Christ. Well, I made a faith commitment, but then there's been absolutely no growth. Without the growth in Christ, we can't experience the fullness of what he has for us. And so one of our motivations is to, is to be able to draw closer to God through our prayer. And then the third component of that is, is that we know that the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. You know, that, finds, that gives me comfort 
to know that when evil does happen, I don't have to be the one to resolve that. You know, one of my motivations for growing in Christ is it helps me to be able to trust him with those things that are really out of my control. Peter's saying, look, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Don't take that into your own hands. Don't deny God his justice. You don't need to be in control. And so as we grow in Christ, we learn to trust him more and more with the everyday decisions with our life, with our kids, with our finances, with our homes, with our jobs, with our own spiritual growth. And so one of our motivations is to also is to understand to learn to trust him more. So he's there, he's here, and he always hears us. You know, as, our, uh, as we've kind of come to a conclusion here, I think, um, I think it's important to know that how we live our life out as a result of who we are in Christ is, is just as important as our identity in Christ. And in some ways it's more important because how we live our life out is proof that we are, in fact, Christians. You cannot be uh, claim to be a Christ follower and then live your life your own way. Jesus is not just a Savior. He is a Lord. And as a Lord, we need to submit to Him and His authority over, over our lives. In fact, in John 15:8, John writes this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. We glorify God and we prove to be his disciples by bearing much fruit. And that bearing much fruit is just being obedient. So what do people see in your lives? It's the fruit. You know, one of my favorite illustrations about fruit is you know, look at an apple tree. I can remember when I was a kid, um, my family had a garden. My mom was out in the garden, and I used to love the garden. And uh, it was so funny because I would go out there and I'd plant the seed, and I'd water it the next day. And I'd like go out there like two days later, it's like, oh, where's the plant? There's no plant there. So my mom would be like, yeah, you got to take some time to grow that plant. I was like, yeah, yeah, but I want the pumpkin, you know. It's like we're going to grow a pumpkin for Halloween. And, you know, for me, that was like, that was a big deal. So I kept waiting for the pumpkins. And then finally I can remember the little sprout coming up. I was like, oh, finally, we're going to get a pumpkin. <laughs> Do you know how big a plant gets before you actually see the pumpkin? And then do you know how long it takes that pumpkin to <laughs> grow? I mean, we're talking months here. And so as a kid, man, I can just remember, man, that's just moving way too slow. I think I, found, I lost interest and I went out and bought one at Walmart or something. I just couldn't wait, you know. Bearing fruit takes time, but it, it's also something that you would expect to see in the life of a person. And, the, and you only get the fruit by being intentional about the process. You've got to be rooted in God's Word. You have to water it. It needs sunshine. It needs good soil. It needs the encouragement of other believers around it so that it can grow. And fruit is a byproduct. And so many times we get hung up on the fruit. Well, I prayed the prayer. Where's my pumpkin? And we just forget the process. And we can't do that. We need to be in community with one another. We need to make time for one another. We need to encourage one another. We're to live as sojourners and, and, and exiles. We're to be aliens in this world. We've been set apart from this world. And we need to live differently. And how we live our faith out and how we relate to other people around us is of critical importance. How do we relate to others as citizens, as servants, as a husband and wife? How do we relate to one another in the body of Christ? And how do we relate to those in and around our community. You know, as I've looked back on this passage, you know, this week, and as I look at this outline, you know, it dawns on me that this is really hard to do. <laughs> we can't do this on our own. We need each other. This is why Sunday is so important. It's so important that we come together to worship God, to remind ourselves of who we are and why we do what we do. Sunday is a critical component 
of what it means to be growing spiritually, to submit ourselves to God's Word and to, to worship Him through prayer. I love Sunday mornings. But this is why small groups are so important. We've got to be connected to the local body of Christ. You realize that all of these things that we've talked about, every single one of them is fulfilled in the context, almost in totality in the context of a small group. We pray for one another. We study God's Word together. We're sympathetic to one another. We're unified together. We're, we make time together. We get together on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We're unified in our thinking, and we're looking forward to God's study, and we're inviting other people to be a part of this, and we're using our gifts to serve one another as we build up the body of Christ. Small groups are a critical component of how we experience growing in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, in uh, verse 24 and 25, it says this, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yeah, I got an email last week from, uh, from a lady that uh, had missed her small group. Her uh, car was broken down, and she, the, the thought was, is that, well, I'm not going to go to a small group. And it was funny because she said she kind of turned her back on her group for the day, and and God just kind of just prompted her to say, no, you need to figure out how to get the group. And so she was telling me about it. She sent me the email. She said, when I got the group, she said, I was so glad I got there. God just used that time together. It was a blessing to me. And it wasn't a blessing in the sense that she got 10 bucks. It was a blessing in the sense that she was encouraged by the body of Christ. She was able to experience all those things that we talked about this morning. There was a guy in our men's group Saturday. He showed up Sunday. He hadn't been there. He missed it the last week. And he, we're sitting there kind of sharing. He said, you know, man, I have had... I've had a really rough week. And he said, you know, I got here this morning. I said, you know, he said, he said, the reason my week was so bad was I really missed this. Because I missed you guys. I missed the encouragement, the learning together. And it is so important that we not forsake meeting together as someone that haven't enjoyed. But encourage one another. In the context of serving together on Sunday morning, about being here, about being in small groups, about being, you know, learning your spiritual gifts and, and finding a place to serve. You know, we have, we have been given a spiritual gift not so that we can be served, but so that we can serve others. And so all of these things are ways that we live out our faith. We can't make the faith commitment and then wait for the pumpkin to show up. We've got to be rooted in the soil. We've got to have good soil, sunlight, water, and we have to wait on God's timing for what he has for us. And then we'll be able to enjoy the good life that God has planned. And so as we close our time together this morning, my prayer for each of us that we would be able to experience what we've been talking about this morning. So there's some great tips some things that you can kind of ponder on in the next week. And more importantly than saying, check on my refrigerator, ponder these things in your heart. You know, I had you write your name on there for a purpose. And so it's not just an insert with some great passages on it. It's a, it's a way of living that will transform us so that we can grow in Christ and experience all that he has for us. And so as we come to our close this morning, let's just make that our prayer together. And so if you would... Uh, just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I just want to ask you to uh, just pray with me. Father, I just pray that you would continue to draw us close to yourself. God, I just pray that you would do a great work in our lives. God, not for our glory, but for yours. I know that you want to accomplish much in and through us. I thank you for the love that you have for us. I thank you for our identity in Christ. And I pray that you would help us to be able to experience the fullness of this life that it has to offer as a result of who we are in Christ. And we look forward with eager anticipation to that day that we stand before you on your throne. And Father, I know that there might be some people here this morning that don't have a relationship with Christ. And so if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, man, I, I don't know if I have a relationship with Christ, I want you this morning just to be able to, in your own heart, say, God, I, 
I want to live a life for you. I, I want to live this life that you have planned for us in Christ. And so this morning, you can just ask Jesus to come into your life. And if you want to know more about that, you can come up to, to our elder prayer this morning. I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about that. But God, I just pray that you would draw those that don't have a relationship with Christ to you this morning as well. Uh, God, so many times we try to do things on our own strength. And uh, God, it can be difficult sometimes just to say, hey, I'm not sure what to do here, but I'm going to step out in faith and trust you. And so God, I pray that you would draw each person here closer to you this morning, regardless of whether they're drawing, being drawn into a faith commitment, whether they're being drawn more towards spiritual maturity, or maybe being drawn into investing in the life of another individual, or maybe even drawn into missions, God. God, we just want to lift our lives up to you for your glory. God, give us the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.